0: Say it. I'm not a lawyer, I'm not an attorney, I've never passed the bar, I've never, you know, gone to law school, but I've been asked if I'm a lawyer many, many times, believe it or not, and I looked, I looked, let's just say a little worse than this back in the day, I think I've had long hair, I've had earrings, I had a tongue ring for a short time and people still ask me. But the reason I was asked is because Megan is a lawyer, and we go to a lot of these lawyer social events and stuff. And uh, basically, people would ask, oh, well, what kind of law do you practice? And I think to myself, well, yeah, what kind of law do you think I practice? But <laughs> <laughs> don't answer that question. But the reality is, it was kind of difficult, because I would had to sort of like be, well, no, I'm not a lawyer. And what that seemed to imply, at least, you know, this it's been years that we've done this, but back in the day it seemed to imply, well, I'm really not worth talking to at this point. Because when you go to legal events, and maybe Mark can weigh in on this, it's really networking time. And the key is what can what can this relationship really do for me? Oh, you're not a lawyer? Well, then Yeah. I gotta talk to someone with a little more, you know, clout. And I and I took that personally, and I really uh, Pretty much became what I would say ineffective at these meetings because Meg was "Oh, you should socialize with everybody, and you should, you know, talk and you know, and and, I'm, and like really, if you think about it, I could be encouraging. I could, you know, really listen to people. And just because someone's at a party doesn't mean their life's great. And there's an opportunity for ministry. And it wasn't until really my outlook on this changed when I had the opportunity to sort of talk to someone about." philosophy and just random stuff that I've actually studied and have a lot of experience with and love talking, but I had to sort of take that risk and be like, no, but I heard you talking about this. Have you read this? You know what I mean? Or something like that and create you know, that sort of segue. But the problem was when I felt like I didn't have the right to be there or belong, my communication with anyone was relatively non-existent. And my effectiveness or purpose in being at that place was just as non-existent and pointless. So it sort of seems quite simple now you know, from the outside looking in, and honestly quite kind of stupid on my part. But I think sometimes when we don't understand our self-worth, any sort of impact our lives can have is essentially crippled. When we don't understand our identity and who we are, we feel like we can't impact this area, and, and we're crippled. I don't remember where the study came from, but I I don't know if this is true, but the study said it was true. But apparently more and more people are working in fields that they did not go to school for or train for. And it might be jobs, it might be the economy. But I've talked to a lot of people like this, and for years, they're like, I don't feel I'm justified to even weigh in or have an opinion. I'm just you know, learning. And of course, I'm like, yeah, but you bring this other perspective, and you bring in. But I think this is a real sort of, you know, dissonance that we that we've got in society i recently saw a picture of mark twain so it made me think of mark twain but he had this quote that uh said the worst loneliness is to not be comfortable with yourself which we could just leave it at that i guess but uh, i think that's really true because if we're not comfortable with ourselves even if we're surrounded by friends even if we're surrounded by people who love us even if we're surrounded by a God who loves us and is trying to communicate with us all the time, we feel lonely and we don't hear anything and we're just not aware of that. And you know, the sort of first point of the, of the message is that's obviously a lie. And we are surrounded by friends, we are surrounded by family, and we're definitely surrounded by a God who loves us and who is regularly available and communicating with us. And I'm just gonna read Ephesians 2. <coughs> Just sort of as a, a basis, because you know, I think it's good to have a grounding in scripture. I'm just gonna read it. It's a pretty popular one, it's Ephesians two, verse eight. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not by your own doing, as the gift of God, not the result of works, so no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then it continues, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers or aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Build on a foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And it goes on and talks about why Jesus is awesome and Jesus is awesome. But the basic bullet points are, it's by grace we have been saved. By grace in a sense, we have been made able to be in the presence of God not by works or not by balancing the scales of good and evil and all that stuff, and that we're also workmanship or reflections of Jesus. And we have been created to do good works in this world. And as workmanship or reflections of Jesus, we have access to God. So today we're gonna talk about communicating and closeness to God and really the practices and and ways that we can make that more effective um, on a regular basis. So then, that knowing that we have access to God, how then do we grow closer? Because I think it's one thing to say, okay, yeah, I'm, I can pray. You know, it's possible. You know, what what then do I do? Well, I had this this moment. There's this something. There's something that's been going on um, for a while in the Jewish culture. It's called a midrash, and it's something that got really popular when like the emergent church came out and you know postmodernism and all that stuff started impacting faith. And the whole idea is really to take scripture. And not rewrite it, but to almost say like, well, what if I was looking at this from this lens? What if I was looking at it from this person, you know, this person's perspective in the story? And all that stuff, and it's, it's, it's a lot of fun to do. And I like half did that, but I was reading that, and I got to Matthew 13, and I found this parable that we've totally read all the time, so I'm not going to read the scripture. I have it. You can look it up. It's, math- it's in Matthew 13, but it's called The Parable of the Sower. And uh, I'm just going to, I'll just paraphrase it just so we're not here all morning. But basically, there's this farmer. And he's throwing seed all over the place in his farm. Some seed then fell on this path that was, you know, as you can imagine, a pretty solid path. And before the seed, anything could happen to the seed, this bird you know, came and swooped and took it away. So the seed was not going to turn into a plant. Then other seed fell on rocky soil, so soil with rocks in it and you know, not super deep and all that stuff. And immediately it sprang up. It worked. The seed went in the ground. It got water. It happened. But then, when the sun rose, they were all scorched and they died because they didn't have any roots. And then there were some others that fell and went into the midst of like weeds and thorns and things like that. And they also got in the ground. They they grow. They you know were possible. And then they got choked, you know, by the thorns and the weeds, which really happens. And which is why we weed a lot. <laughs> And then Jesus gave this, this explanation. He says, anyone who hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away, which is the birds. This is what is sown along the path. And what is sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arise and the account of the world immediately falls away. So really you can break this thing apart, but it's Really interpreted as someone who hears the word, gets excited about it, but really doesn't get it. Really isn't really, there's no depth to their faith. It's just, this is exciting. Oh, no, now, no, it's bad. All right, now. And then, uh, as for the one sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but cares for the world and the deceitfulness of the riches choked uh, uh, by the word. So basically, this person or, you know, seed gets into the grounds, grows again, but just gets, I would say, so distracted and, and concerned with all of the wrong things, and then gets choked and then disappears. And then he says, obviously, there was a good, the good seed that falls on good soil without rocks is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another 60, and another 30. So the reality is it's not just this awesome crop this one time. It's this continual crop over and over and over again. And there's sort of like a ale- legacy of good crop that just happens because this seed fell on this good soil. So I was sort of praying on that, and I saw this huge parallel between God communicating with us and, in a sense, the seed and these examples, and which really tie into what we would call practices. So pretty straightforward, but I think sometimes you kind of have to make those connections, and then it all sort of roots in your head a little bit more, no pun intended. So I looked at the seeds taken by the birds, and I thought, you know, the road was so dense that the seed was gone before it could make even an impact. And when I think about God communicating with us, there are those opportunities where we're just not listening, we're, you know, where there's just either too much going on at that moment, or, you know, we haven't taken time to sort of, in a sense, like what we do, center or <coughs> pause. And it just, it doesn't make any impact, and it's gone before we even realize it was there. And then there's this seed that falls in the soil without any depth or understanding, and I think as we seek to hear God and as we seek to experience, you know, the leading of God, if we're not grounding ourselves in, you know, what I would say, Scripture or truth, or a real depth of, of understanding, it could just we could hear something, get excited, and then all of a sudden there's a tough time, and oh well, this that my there's a really you know common thing that happens where it's oh well, I guess that wasn't really what God was leading because now it's kind of difficult and like we use this worldly litmus test of the leading of God and you know I I don't think that's true and then there's the soil that um, is strangled by the worries of the world and I think there are also times where we can hear or feel a leading that God's leading even if it's like a crazy dream and then we think this doesn't make any sense this is not going to be successful this is not going to represent really what is good in in this sort of worldly standard. And then so obviously we want to be, you know, the good soil that hears the word of God, that hears this leading and this communication and doesn't let it, you know, disappear because of stress or anxiety or busyness and doesn't hold it to this like worldly sort of, you know, what is uh, wise sort of standard, but uh, actually uses it to be a blessing, not only to ourselves, but, you know, people around us right now. And so on and so forth down the line, because I think we've all have stories of people who have blessed us, and it's just got this generational effect, because they've done some crazy thing that God was leading them to do, and then all of a sudden, six generations later, you know, you're talking about this great-grandfather who made this call to do this thing, and, uh, and we can do that. That's the exciting thing. But obviously, then, the question of the sermon really is, how do we become the good soil? You know, how do we sort of, in both, uh, you know, sort of a philosophical way, but really in a pragmatic way, actually live this? And uh, this is where we've sort of developed this idea of practices. You know, there's also another word, and it's the word discipline, which is a public relations nightmare, when you try to tell people they need more disciplines in their life. And so my initial thought was, I, I, you know, it sounded painful, it sounds difficult, and it kind of sounds like the guy who comes up to you, or girl, really, and says i run five you know five k's every day i feel great about it you should totally run five k's every day and you will feel awesome and i'm thinking this does not sound like a good idea to me and i don't think it sounds (laughs) awesome whatsoever but that's a discipline that resonates with them and they probably took time to get to that point where this is this makes me feel awesome would not make me feel awesome but oftentimes it is because the practice you know, a discipline that resonates with us naturally isn't the one that resonates with other people naturally. Because there are a lot of disciplines. And I sort of, you know, broke them down into, you know, what I would call three categories. And in essence, it's disciplines that deal with studying scripture, disciplines that deal with, and we'll just say practices, because we don't need anyone to feel negative or feel like we're trying to discipline you. But practices that deal with studying scripture Practices that deal with investing ourselves in the community, and then prayer, which scripture backs up. There's this passage in Acts which is describing, you know, this early church as it's developing, and it says that devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread and prayer. And just so no one thinks I made a huge leap, I'm going to explain why I think that makes sense to me. So obviously devoting oneself to the apostles' teaching is regularly interacting with scripture, because that's what became scripture. And it's not just studying it. It's also teaching scripture to other people. It's this whole, like, you know, growing by by learning and then growing by showing kind of thing, which creates that, obviously, foundation. And then there's this, this idea of breaking bread. And as I was kind of praying about that, I sort of saw it as supporting what it takes to break bread together. So making it happen. You know, it's not just showing up and eating the bread. It's, it's the whole process. It is the social. It is the making the community happen. But it's also the person who wakes up at 4 a.m. and physically bakes the bread or <laughs> buys the bread, if you're me, and, you know, goes this, the 24-hour Safeway. <laughs> but it's a combination of investing one's time, skills, and resources um, in the community, the church community, the neighborhood community, and, you know, it just keeps going. And then prayer. We, we talked about this a little bit in worship, but it's that intimacy, of an individual and you know or community with god it's not just sitting and being dear god i want more money today or i want to raise or you know, obviously money's on my mind but <laughs> praying for things over and over again we'll take care of that later. <laughs> edit that <laughs> but that's that's like there's a perception of prayer that is just that and we've been working really hard to change that paradigm a little bit just in the listening aspect of centering prayer but it's even more you know I would say worship like musical worship is a form of prayer it's this it's these different things that we in a sense can find as our way that would like that we'll find the ways that really resonate with us in seeking intimacy with God so there's this learning component with Scripture there's this in a sense the whole picture of breaking of bread which is really investing ourselves in many many ways in the community and that socializing Fellowship, and then the idea of prayer, which is seeking intimacy with God. And I bet you know, with all the laundry list of practices that we could talk about, some of them are going to resonate, and some of them are not going to resonate. And I think the statement I've heard when people share what they do or what is powerful, they usually say, "When I do blank, I feel the presence of God." I think James once said, "When I wash my rice, I feel the pre- yes. When he washes his rice, he feels the presence of God." I'd pay attention. And I think that's really a good start because I think what we have to do, at least if we're on the beginning of this, I just want to, you know, be able to communicate with God. I want to hear God. I hear people talking about God saying this to them, and I never hear that. You know, I think that's a real problem with the church right now and a struggle, and I think it makes us really question our identity like we talked about before. And this is a really great way to start. It's to find that thing that does resonate with us initially. And that, like I said, that's a good start. And I was actually going to make Rachel, Nick's wife, very uncomfortable right now, but I'm not going to do it because I thought maybe she won't answer the way I would think that she would answer. So let's just pretend that I asked her a question that was, out of most Americans' diets, what would you say are most lacking? Proteins like meats and nuts, fruits, vegetables, grains, sugar, caffeine, et cetera. I know you were going to say vegetables, so we'll just pretend that you said vegetables. It was a trap. Because, and and, and, and consistently, you know, I I know like with like the whole joke of when kids are growing up, making them eat their vegetables and things like that. And so for me, I really liked peas for some reason. And only peas from a can. There you go. (laughs) I don't know what it is. Yeah, right? Can't find peas in a can anymore. (laughs) Right. And I thought, well, if I just eat six portions of peas, I'm solid because it you know the rule is you got to have so many servings of vegetables and that's obviously not true you know we need a variety of different elements i.e. different vegetables that would produce different effects in our bodies and in essence make us more healthy i know that's a horrible parallel to say spiritual practices are like vegetables <laughs> but i think we can we can we can do it because each i would say that each spiritual practice possesses different elements That essentially ensure a healthy relationship with God in the same way that different vegetables have different elements. And it doesn't sound super attractive or you know, I want to go eat more vegetables, but I would assume that there are there at least is one vegetable that you kinda have as a go to. Like I really like asparagus, or I really like Brussels sprouts if they have bacon lathered all over it, or something like that. (laughs) And if and if you're not with me. We'll just let's go back in time, and we'll use the 1990s food pyramid that has potatoes, corn, I think even wheat might have made it into the vegetable category at that point. And I would assume that we've gotten everybody at least on board at this point, because I would definitely go for some mashed potatoes. (laughs) And so if we just keep listing them and listing them, I think we get to a point where everyone has at least one favorite or two favorites. And in that same way, it's really where we begin with spiritual practices. It's finding the ones that really resonate with us naturally and that we can easily sort of start working on and working towards. But that's not the end of it. If you have one or two spiritual practices, is moving on to what I would call the lima bean phase. And going for the things that aren't super attractive. Why? Because our health and relationship with God is affected um, just by so much and so many different things and so many different practices and moving on to, you know, the ones that don't seem super fun. And that's really the second point of this section. case in point. Uh, I'll just be honest. I I have struggled with this a long time. I'm not going to pass the plate, but giving financially is a difficult lima bean one sometimes, but it's also a practice. It's a practice that a lot of people don't like or feel uncomfortable with, and quite honestly, a practice that churches haven't really talked about well. And it's sort of this chicken and egg paradox of who really messed this up and what it means, you know? But it's so vital to making ministries happen. And in fact, things couldn't function without that aspect of breaking bread with one another, which is supporting financially. it sort of makes me remember when I, and I swear this is true, I used to work out in college and we would have this running joke that we would say tomorrow is going to be leg day. And if you've ever worked out, legs are not fun to work out. It's all about arms and chest and back and so we would never <laughs> want to do legs, but you really needed legs because you know it goes to this full all-around health. And I think as we sort of kind of move on to this like prayer time and um, assignments, part of it's going to be finding those Spiritual practices or disciplines that actually don't resonate with you very well, that actually aren't fun. Man, I don't really like reading scripture every day, but actually like working on it and seeing what happens. So the simple assignments that we've got, first phase, if you're just starting, you've just heard the word spiritual practice or discipline for the first time, it's all good. But find one or two that naturally resonate with you simple as that. We can email out a list of them, too, different ideas. They really can just keep going. Like, I think someone told me that mowing the lawn was a good spiritual discipline because they were able to be intimate with God while they just had the white noise of mowing the lawn, you know? But beginning with stuff like that and really getting your feet wet and having this open line of communication with God. And start doing them regularly. And then if you already have one or two practices, try ones that are a little more uncomfortable, and to see what happens. Uh, we're just going to end with just two things. Second uh, Peter one, verses five through eight. It says, "For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Starting with faith, then we're adding goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love." For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. And it's sort of a weird verse to kind of trip upon, but I see that as really the progression. We're starting at one point. You know, we're starting with a practice or a thing that was like, yeah, I love just playing guitar and singing. That is so much fun. And then it's like, all right, well, I'm going to try this one now, even though this isn't something that resonates with me, but creating more of a fullness uh, in my relationship with God. For in developing and progressing we not only increase our closeness to god but also our capacity and ability to love and thus our effectiveness in this world the seed can't fall on the road and be taken by birds if we are regularly in prayer and communion with god the seed cannot fall on rocky soil and lack adequate roots when the sun comes out if we're constantly rooting ourselves in scripture the seed cannot fall in the midst of thorns to be choked out if we are investing ourselves in the community and thus surrounding ourselves with support and allies instead of enemies and anxieties. To grow closer to God is all about being able to recognize the closeness of God through the practices of prayer, intimacy, and regular interaction with Scripture and investing our community.